Welcome to Calvary Chapel The Rock's podcast. This Resurrection Sunday, we will be taking a look at Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. This well-loved story really sums up what Easter is all about. Life from the dead and coming back to the God who loves us so very much. And now for Pastor Ross Ryman. Alrighty, welcome you back to your seats. Grab your Bibles. This morning we're going to take a look at a story Jesus told in Luke 15. Luke 15. Turn there. Put your finger there. We'll eventually get there. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge that we need your help to understand your word. And Lord, we're taking a look at a real famous story that you told, describes our very situation and how to enjoy the Father's love. And we just pray that you'd encourage us by what we read and that you bring it home to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's nothing like the joy you feel when you find something after it's been lost. Uh, and the greater the value of the lost object, uh, the greater the happy relief uh, when you find it. A few months ago, now I took off my wedding ring. I don't even know why. You know, maybe I was just bored. I just, <laughs> I just took it off without thinking, and I remember putting it down thinking, now remember where you put that, you know? And then, uh, of course, the, the next day while I was driving, I looked at my hand and went, whoops, I forgot to put that back on. And I went back to the place where I had thought that I left it. And of course, it wasn't there. And I got that sinking feeling, uh, not very optimistic thought. I'll never see it again. <laughs> so we looked everywhere. You know, it wasn't very expensive, but it's the wedding ring. We got engaged. We went shopping together. We picked it out. I had it so... 30 years, that's longer than I had my hair. That's a, that's a long time. Oh, man, I was pretty bummed. And um, I knew I needed a replacement ring. I tried not to get one. But after a few people asked me uh, why I wasn't wearing my ring with concern in their voice, I thought, okay, I got to get a ring. So a few weeks went by. I went to Sears, and I bought an El Cheapo band and... I wasn't very happy. No offense to Sears. So, <laughs> a month or two later, Barb was vacuuming. She was moving some furniture. She scooped something up, and guess what I found? Like a button? <laughs> she opened her hand, and there it was, my wedding ring. <laughs> so give me that ring. I was just, oh, there it is. Oh, I was just so happy. You know the feeling, right? I put that on. I haven't taken it off since, you know? Just so happy when you find something. You know, you just cash your, your paycheck, you put the cash in your wallet, and then you lose your wallet, and then you find it. It's like, oh, you see that little corner of the leather. You're like, oh, I'm so happy, right? 
Uh, maybe not as animated as me, but you know, you're happy nonetheless. You may, your keys or whatever it is, you know, a, a lost document on your computer. And then suddenly you hit a key and boop, there it is. You're, oh, thank you, Lord. Amen. It's so good to have the lost thing found. You know, the fist pump start, you do a little happy dance, whatever. You go your way whistling a happy tune because life is good again. And that's what this morning's text is all about. The joy of finding something that was lost. And it's kind of what Easter's all about. It's kind of why Jesus came to the earth to to die for us, to restore that which was lost and estranged from our Heavenly Father back into the Father's love. And so we're going to take a a look at that famous story called the prodigal son uh, this morning. It's a well-loved story. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know what the story's about because it's so well-known. Jesus loved a good story. He told a lot of them. And people loved to listen to him because he could take deep theological truths and he could weave them into a story about everyday life. I mean, these truths about heaven and hell and the human condition and the coming judgment and all of these things uh, hidden away in a story about a woman baking bread in the kitchen or about a man planting a garden or about going to a wedding or spending a day fishing. People love to hear Jesus' stories and also stories about the joy of finding things that were lost. Now, Jesus told a few stories here in in Luke 15. You have three in a row about little stories from everyday life about finding the lost thing and the joy that it brings when somebody finds something that was uh, misplaced or or lost. And so uh, these stories are a response to public criticism from the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious bad guys in the story. Uh, Their problem with Jesus, they noticed that a, a bunch of people with bad reputations were hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus seemed to enjoy it. I mean, they were having barbecues, and they were laughing and throwing their heads back and just having a good time with the Son of God, the supposed Messiah. So they said, some Messiah, he's this guy who's a friend of sinners. And so with that, Jesus said, I've got a story for you to help them understand their, their twisted understanding about God and his heart and why the Messiah came. To find lost people, that's the whole point. He also did it, told these stories, not only to correct the Pharisees, but to encourage those people who were sitting at the barbecues with him and having been slammed right there, probably embarrassed and a little awkward, right? And so Jesus is going to tell stories to encourage them. Hey, I got a couple stories here. So he started out with a story. He says, you don't understand why I'm hanging around with people with need? Well, let me tell you. Think of it this way. Uh, A guy loses, a a man loses one sheep, a shepherd. He goes after it, right? Uh, When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He comes back into the village. Hey, everybody, look what I found. He's happy, and everybody's happy with him. And he said, you know what? That's me. 
That's what I'm doing here. And there's a lot of joy when one person comes to know the Lord. There's a lot of joy like that. He goes, oh, hold on, I've got another one. It's, think of it this way. It's like a woman. She goes to bed one night. She counts her coins. There seems to be 10 coins. But the next day, she finds out there's nine. Where's that one silver coin? So she sweeps through the house like a crazy lady, looking in every nook and cranny, and then suddenly a little glint. Ah, she sees the coin and she finds it. And she calls her friends and says, Hey, everybody, thank you for praying. Man, I found that which was so valuable to me. I got the coin back in my hand right now. And Jesus says, In the same way, I'm kind of like that woman. I'm looking around every nook and cranny. And when one person comes to know the Lord, there's joy not only in my heart and God's heart, but the angels rejoice as well. Well, now people are elbowing each other and they're looking around, they're smiling, their hearts are open. Now Jesus is going to go for the jugular. He's going to tell a story about not a, a lost thing, but a lost soul and how that soul is found. Verse 11. Jesus continued. Here's another story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, resurrection. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We'll pause there. We've got two boys. They're both lost, but uh, that's another story, the older boy. We're going to talk about the younger one this morning. If all you ever had in the Bible, you know there are 66 books and 12 Hundred chapters and 31,000 verses in the Bible. But if all you had was a torn out page with this story on it, you have enough. 
You've got the whole story. You've got the whole Bible in one story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The story of how we come back to know the Lord and be restored in his love. That's what it's all about. Now, if you're taking notes, that this story just will walk through it. It divides quite nicely. Number one, life at home. Number two, a walk on the wild side. <laughs> number three, trouble in paradise. <laughs> and number four, coming home. Now, this story is so well known, and there's a reason for that, uh, because we sense in our hearts that it's really our story We are all lost children who desperately need to know the Father's love. And Jesus, very plain language, he tells our story. And the striking imagery, man, this story, it's just showing everybody, everybody, no matter who you are, how to get back to the Father and to to enjoy his love forever. So we pay attention because he's given us clues, right? So number one, life at home. Well, this boy, he's miserable. He shouldn't be. So he's got a pretty good deal going. But he's sick of his father. He's sick of the farm. He's sick of being the good, submitted son. You know, he's sick of rules, expectations, responsibility. He goes about all his tasks all day long going, boring, (laughs) boring. He's just bored to death. Uh, He wants freedom, you know? He wants to do his own thing. He wants to go where he wants to go, do what he wants to do, think the way he wants to think, and he can't do that at home, right? He wants a place where no accountability, a master of his own destiny. You know, he's seen all those beer commercials. (laughs) They look so happy, you know? He wants to follow that. He thinks to himself, I'm missing out. I'm missing out. There's something more that will make me happy and content. And what's standing in the way? The old man, the father. Well, isn't that the original lie that that got us all into trouble, that Eve bought and made us all a bunch of prodigals, really? You know, you remember, they had a pretty good deal there. They had a pretty good father, too, a pretty good home, (laughs) right? But then came the lie, the lie that, oh, there's something outside, there's something over there. You're missing out because the Father's holding back. You remember how it goes. Did God really say, (laughs) did you get the serpent? (laughs) Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve's all, no, he didn't say that. He said, actually, we could eat from any tree. Oh, he did mention the one in the middle, hands off, the day we eat of it, we shall die. God did that because love demands a choice, you know. You know, you shall love me. You know, the response is not really love, you know. It's self-preservation. So there's always choice involved in free will. So the lie comes back, die? You shall not surely die? Oh, in the day that you eat of that, your eyes will be open. You'll be like him. He doesn't want that, right? He's keeping something back from you. Happiness, true happiness, is stepping over the line and doing things your own way. Follow me. 
It looks pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, it tastes even better. Come on, take a bite. You know you want to. <laughs> you know that line, right? <laughs> you know you want to. So that's the lie. You could be having so much more. It's a good life without him and his rules. You don't need him. Defy him. Come on. So they did. First her, then the husband. They ate. They died. They didn't fall over dead. They died spiritually, just like God said. He disconnected. And they gave birth to children who were born disconnected and little prodigals just like them. That's what we inherited from our first parents. Now, Thomas Huxley put it this way, a man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do just as he pleases. Amen. (laughs) So the boy's going to make his move, prodigal that he is. By the way, prodigal means wasted, to waste, right? So it's very interesting to say, I'm going to go get wasted. Yeah, it's perfect, (laughs) because that's really what you're doing. And so the prodigal makes his move. You can only fake it so long, you know. And so one night, I imagine, you know, after... Uh, you know, scowling and sulking and pushing the food around on his plate. He breaks the awkward silence with, I want out. I want out. But he needs some cash, right? You always need cash, right? So he says, man, I want my share of the estate right now. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting for you to die. Hello, You're taking forever. So let's just, while you're alive, and you're going to live to 103, apparently, I can't wait that long, so I want out. Give me the cash. The father goes, and he gets the shekels. He puts it in a bag, and I'm sure there's a little bit of something there, but the father gives free will. That's what he does. He gives us all free will. He says, choose this day, I've given you a choice between life and death, Deuteronomy 30, between blessings and cursings. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make, oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. And so uh, he gathers all his stuff, dad and mom, the brother, they watch him pack his stuff, turn to go, the door slamming in their face. You know, no explanations are given, Right? Because there is no reason for it. What is he going to say? I, I, I'm sick of you. I, I, I hate you. I don't want you in my life. I want your money. Give me uh, so that I can spend it all on me. Right? So there's no explanation given. But we find out exactly what he's up to. You know, he leaves. And I started thinking, what is it with us humans? I mean, there's no reason to run away from God. We know by our own instinct we could never have gotten here on our own. We didn't create ourselves. We don't even sustain ourselves. Why are we so resistant to the idea of God and coming under his love and walking with him? I tell unbelievers all the time, it's a win-win with God. He loves you. He created you. He knows you. He wants to bless you. He He doesn't want to harm you. Why would you run away from the one who created you and loves you so much? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that in the story, and it doesn't make sense today. It's because we're Adam's kid, but there's a way back, and there's a way to get a new nature 
inside. So number two, a walk on the wild side. Let me paraphrase verse 13. So a few days pass, and the son packs all his stuff together, and he sets out for a distant land where he squanders, that's the word for prodigal, to squander all his money on wild living. So let's talk about that, a walk on the wild side. Now he's off to see the world, right? That's what he wants. Without that pesky old man over his shoulder, you know, and all those rules and regulations. And, and some of you don't know this, but as he was going, he was singing a song. And he was singing a song that you guys probably know. Besides, I did it my way. <laughs> he, he sang that one too. But this is a new, fresh one. All right. He was singing the song from Frozen. <laughs> Let it go. And let me just give you a refrain and see if you agree with me, all right? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Oh, really? That's the prodigal song. That's the song we teach the little ones so that they can grow up and be prodigals just like us. All right, don't start me. <laughs> it's too late, but yeah, all right. Um, R.C. Sproul, who wrote A Walk with God, a commentary on Luke about this passage, wrote this. Sometimes about moving to a distant country. Sometimes we like to travel to distant places where we know no one and where no one knows us where we can go wherever we please without fear of being recognized or caught doing something we couldn't do at home. Now, one writer was quick to point out, you know, you don't have to physically move to a far country to actually go there. You can go there in the privacy of your own heart. And so that's what's happening here. The young man gave no explanations at the dinner table, but now we see uh, what he wanted, freedom to sin. He wanted freedom to sin. So he squanders his money. Now, he must have had a small fortune there. And uh, it went pretty fast, which is amazing. Uh, the Bible does say in Proverbs 23, 5, cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Amen. <laughs> oh, especially if God wants to get your attention. Man, can they fly away. Now, we know how easy it is for people to spend through a fortune when they're caught up in self-indulgent, wild, undisciplined lifestyle. We hear about all those lottery winners, right? I went online and I read this little blurb. I'm withholding our name because it's not very flattering. All right, 2004, a single uh, mother who had been on welfare cashed a check from the lottery for $10,569,010. She subsequently spent her winnings on a big house, fancy cars, designer clothes, lavish parties, exotic trips, and, and less than a few years, she's back riding the bus, working part-time, and living in a rented house. $10 million, it's a lot of money. I find that just amazing. And it's, 
it's not just them. How about when you read these Hollywood celebs who, who, who uh, file bankruptcy? What, you just think you had millions and millions of dollars. And athletes as well, professional athletes. Millions and millions of dollars and you're filing bankruptcy. What happened? It just slipped right through their fingers. You see? Now, one minute they have it all. The next minute it's all gone. So poor guy, he thought it was going to last forever, but the reckless living, by the way, in the Greek, it has a connotation for to luxury. So he had expensive tastes, fancy shimmering threads, you know, uh, fast, sleek chariots, okay, uh, high-priced banqueting, uh, and a Mediterranean villa by the sea, right? And, and it was all about him, it was all about a good time, it was all about image and pleasure, and in a short while, it was all about being gone, <laughs> all gone. That money was supposed to really help him and be a blessing and set him up for success, but he wasted it. Now, money in the Bible is never the problem, and it's not a sin to be affluent at all. It's the heart setting its worship on the things and putting self before God and, and pleasure and gratification at the expense of your relationship with God. That's always the problem, right? And so he was a prodigal in that way. God's given us a life. One commentator said, hey, be careful, even as believers. Uh, we didn't get here on our own. God's given us resources, abilities, and talents, and time. And... In the end, we return to the one who gave us all of that, and he asked for an accounting. And the prodigal's answer is always the same. I spent it on me. I spent it on me. So the party's coming to an end, so let's see that. About that time, his money ran out, and surprise, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him out to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he's feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So we looked at life at home, and we've looked at a walk on the wild side. Now trouble in paradise. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So it's kind of like somebody's saying, check, please. <laughs> you know, in, in comes the inevitable. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, don't be fooled. A person will reap what they sow. If you sow to your sinful nature, from that nature, you will reap destruction. The good news is if you sow to the Spirit and you do the things that God wants us to do, from that we will reap life and peace. And so, but that's not what was the situation with this prodigal, you know. So the good times are over. He's in anguish, great need, helplessness. He's abandoned, you know. I'm glad that you can't be around in my office sometimes because I do things that would be embarrassing. Like I break into songs sometimes or I do something silly. Like yesterday I was reading and thinking about the story again. And I was thinking about suddenly he's looking around, there are no friends, there's no more money, there's no more good times, it's all just him and a big hurt locker, you know? So then I started singing, 
Those were the days, my friends. We thought they'd never end. Sing and dance. Come on, help me out here. Oh, you know it. (laughs) Let me read to you the words. It's a sad song. Those were the days, my friend, prodigal. We thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance forever and a day. We'd live the life we choose. We'd fight and never lose, for we were young and sure to have our way. And then I clicked on it to listen to it, and it goes, lie, 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 lie. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Lie, 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 lie. And that's what you get. (laughs) Well, he lived the life he chose, and now he's got a lot of woes. That's how the story goes, as everyone knows. Oh, no. (laughs) All right, I'll stop there, because I actually ran out of rhymes. All right, apparently, life in in the far country is not all cracked up. It's not all that it was cracked up to be. Any of you experienced that, that, you know, you wanted greener, greener pastures? Then you found out it was artificial turf. You know, you've heard that one. <laughs> you know what I have written down here? Where are all your buddies? Where the buddies go? You know what I answer? They're just like you. You choose friends with the same kind of character and substance or lack thereof. And when you're in trouble and you're in need, where are they? They're looking after themselves. Sound familiar? All gone. Of course. You stop buying them drinks. Hello. They're gone. They found some other person to use. So the Bible does say uh, sin is pleasurable for a season. God is so honest. I mean, it's fun. That's why we do it, right? But it has a price tag. And it's only fun for a season. And then you wake up and, you know, you were living high on the hog. And then you're suddenly laying down with the hogs. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's sad. So the estate is in foreclosure. The chariots repossessed. The friends have disappeared. He hasn't eaten for some time now. He's desperate. And here's the point in the story. I wish we had some audio because he's talking to Jewish audience. And he says, hey, things got bad, but he got a job. And everybody's like, kind of, oh, he got a job. He got a job with some guy to feed the pigs. Gasp. They're Jews. They're kosher. What's a nice Jewish boy doing in a pig pen, feeding the pigs? And at that, the job doesn't pay very well. Why? He's looking at the slop, and he's saying, mm, yummy. <laughs> so this is not good. I mean, for the Jew... They're, they're going, he hit B for basement. He's as low as you could go. Can you imagine? The smell, the filth, the ache, the loneliness. He's in a world of hurt. Warren Wearsby, great commentator on this passage. The scene before us is the Lord's way of emphasizing what sin really does in the lives of those who reject the Father's will. Sin promises freedom, but it only brings slavery. It promises success, but brings failure. It promises life, but the wages of sin is death. The boy thought he was going to find himself. 
but he wound up losing himself. When God is left out of our lives, enjoyment becomes enslavement. Wow. So yeah, we see the consequences of sin, but don't miss the gracious hand of God in this because it's no coincidence that the timing. He runs out of money and suddenly wakes up to a famine in the land. God, our heavenly father, he draws us. And when we don't come uh, the first few times, he says, I love you so much. I maybe got to turn up the heat a little bit to help you to come to know me. God draws us. He made sure that no one gives him anything so that this kid is going to start to think and look upward. He's in need. I, I don't need you to raise your hand, but many people in here have come to the Lord because of some kind of painful adversity. And just the, the way we are, we just need it. or We're stubborn. And so God says, okay, I, I got to dry the resources up a little bit, maybe get you to look up. I have a friend who is a Christian, and uh, it's a big joke between us. He says uh, he's self-employed, and he gets jobs, right? And he says, uh, when I'm not walking with the Lord, the jobs dry up. And I go, and I'm stubborn, I'm stubborn. And, and then I repent, and I pray, and, and you see me around. And then, and then suddenly I get jobs, and jobs, and jobs, and jobs, and jobs. And then I'm so happy, and then I'm doing great, and then I wander away again. And then suddenly the phone stops ringing again. And so I get on my knees and I pray and I get back into fellowship. And then I'm blessed and the phone's ringing off the hook. And I say to him, you know, there's an easier way. <laughs> there really is an easier way. Just stay connected and the blessings and all of that. And so, but that's, what, that's how we are. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. My dad was the first to become a Christian in our family of six. And he was 55 years old. He, God used adversity and a little bit of a famine to get his attention. And my dad always made a good living. We always lived in big, nice houses and new cars. Money was never a problem. And... Suddenly, my father went bankrupt through a, it's a long story, but he ended up managing a hotel with very little money. And he's managing the hotel, and there's a woman uh, who was hard to work for over him. And here's a guy who owned all his businesses all his life and had lots of money. And um, one day she told him, I need you to climb into the trash bin and stomp the garbage down. So my father got into the trash bin, and he's jumping up and down to make the garbage go down, right? And the boxes, whatever was in there. And she's saying, hire Joseph, hire Joseph. And my father would tell this in his testimony and say, God was squeezing me so tight and saying, Will you look to me? 
the more she said, hire Joseph, hire Joseph. I could hear the Lord saying, Joseph, Joseph, hire Joseph, hire. Look higher, look to me. And my dad did. That was the beginning of my dad softening to the Lord. And he became a a born-again Christian. Praise God that he sends a famine to us. Praise God for that accident. Praise God for that split that broke your heart. It brought you to life. Did it bring you to life? Then praise God for that. I mean, nobody enjoys it at the time. That's better than perishing if that's the only way God can get to you. So, you know, it knocks you down sometimes, but that's the only way you... Well, what's your only perspective from on your back? <laughs> Hello? It's, it's up toward him. And may I say this, that a lot of people come to know the Lord at the pinnacle of their success as well. You see? Because they get there and they're just disillusioned. I'm here. Why aren't I happy? That's why you read about these Hollywood celebs who end their lives. They're beautiful and rich and wealthy and everybody's flashing pictures and you you read about them in the hotel room. They take a bottle of pills. Why? We're all wishing we could be like you. They say, oh, but when you get here, you realize... It was all facade. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no life in this just stuff. And they come to the Lord. Verses 17 through 19. Well, he wakes up one day. I'm paraphrasing. He comes to his senses. He says, at home, even the hired help have more than enough to eat. And here I am starving to death. What am I doing I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Would you be willing to hire me on as a worker? Wow, things have changed. So our final point is a happy one, as it should be. It's Easter Sunday morning, the embrace of heaven coming home. Now, as I said, we need to pay attention Because this is God in a human body. He didn't have a father. He had a human mother. He's 100% human. He's 100% God because there was no father involved. The Holy Spirit. And the God man is telling you in a pretty easy story how to come to him. So we pay attention now. The first way to find the father's love is to have an awakening. Without the awakening... The story does not have a happy ending. The Bible literally in the Greek says he came to himself. It's interesting because when we're doing our prodigal thing, you can get so caught up in stuff that you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't recognize yourself. You're you're not yourself. You're just living under the slavery of the, the tyranny of self. And then finally, he says in this awakening, the Lord says that he came to himself. He woke up one day and he said, I don't like this anymore. (laughs) I'm lonely. I'm in need. I've hurt people. I feel bad about it. I'm not right with God. I'm not right with what I did to my father. And look at me. And besides, I'm hungry. (laughs) You know, that helped a little bit. You know, so next you see a confession. So you have awakening. And you have confession. Now, the word confession, it just means to say the same thing as. All right? So he's telling the truth for a change. Notice in the confession, 
I have sinned. Oh, what a bitter pill. I have sinned. I'm a sinner. The word harmatano means to miss the mark. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, something all humans have done. We've missed the mark. He says, hey, I'm done with making excuses and saying I've made some mistakes in my life. He just says, look, I've, I've, I've had a truth moment. And the confession is going to be when I get there, I've sinned first against God. And believe me, all sin is first and foremost against God because it's God who created us. It's God's rules. It's God's world. It's God's universe. It's God's people we're messing with. So it's first against God, then against the person. And, he, and he's willing to say, I'm a sinner. And then this big word, it's an R word, repentance. Repentance just simply means to change your mind or to do a U-turn. You know that Jesus started his ministry with one message. He did a lot of teaching, but the message he proclaimed was repent, the kingdom of God is near, because he's near, right? What does that word mean? He's just saying, turn around, turn around, turn around. That's all God requires. He does everything else in the story. All he wants from us is the turning, the change of heart. That's what saves this kid. He just turns for a multitude of reasons and he comes to himself and he says, I'm turning, turning away from sin and toward the love of his father. He believes in God, right? He has saving faith because he says, I've sinned against God. So you're going to have to believe that God exists in order to have sinned against him. So he has faith. He's turning he's, and humility. Look at this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son after what I've done. And so he says, maybe you can just hire me on. Just hire me on as a servant. Well, that's true humility. But he's, in spite of what he's done, he says, I will go to my father. He has hope. And so the embrace of heaven starts with a change of heart. And if it's a real change of heart, then the legs will follow, you see. He, you think all you want. Oh, I've done this. I'm sorry about that. But until the life changes, the legs start moving in the different direction, then you know, oh, you got the real thing. And so his legs are moving. Let's finish up because the boy is going to get a reaction that I don't think he's prepared for here. I'll, I'll paraphrase. So he gets up and he heads for home toward his father's house. And while he's still a good way from home, his father sees him coming, filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son and topples him over, grabbing onto him, lavishing kisses on him over and over again. The son starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against both God and you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him. And says, starts shouting out orders, sending servants flying in all directions. Quick, a new robe for my son. And put the signet ring on his finger and sandals for his feet. It's time for a big celebration. For the son was dead and has returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. So the party began. We'll talk about a fist pump. Oh, man. Now, there's so much here. It's so wonderful. First of all, older Jewish men, they don't run, 
all right? They just don't, they don't run unless they're being chased. First of all, the problem's the robes. You'd have to tuck your robe up and have your little chicken legs hanging out there. No dignified Jewish man in his right mind would go running down the street. What do the neighbors think? What's up with that crazy man? Does he care? Oh, oh. I would rather be in front of a she-bear robbed of her cubs than get in the way of that father and that boy. And what has the father been doing? Sitting around, staring from the porch the whole time? How does he see a little puff, a little puff of nothing on the horizon? He goes, that's him. What? Oh, that's so beautiful because his heart's never stopped praying and drawing and looking and loving and desiring. And he goes flying after his boy. There's no mountains or valleys or rivers or oceans or the devil himself going to get in the way of that reunion. And just check out the unconditional love which will blow your mind. Where do you get a love like this? He just topples over this kid who smells like a pig. Sorry. <laughs> right? What has he done to deserve all of this love and affection and attention? No, I told you so. <laughs> oh, you hungry now? You know? Here, I got a little contract, and we're going to sit down, at a little probation period, and we're going to have you sign here. You know, I kept track of the money that I gave you, and with interest, this is what's coming back, and I'll let you work it off, and maybe you can make installments, all right? Kisses? No conditions? Gifts? Jesus is revealing God's true nature toward you and to me. A kind of love we have trouble understanding. The robe is to cover the mess as Christ covers us with an atonement. The guest of honor has the robe. The ring says he's restored. He's got full authority as a son. He can use that ring as signet ring. He's, he's fully reinstated with the authorities and the responsibility of the father's family name, like us. The sandal says he's no slave. The slaves were barefooted, and to have sandals meant this is my son. He's not a hired uh, help. Now, when you become a son, something happens inside, and I wish I would have heard this part. It would have sped my coming to the Lord, because I could never picture the 19-year-old person I was, a Christian. And I told a guy once, he was sharing the gospel with me on Market Street in San Francisco. He had open Bibles telling me. I said, I can now be a Christian. I kind of believe what you're saying. My dad just became one of you. Uh, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm not interested. I don't like your music. I don't like your, what you do. I don't like church. Uh, I fall asleep if I go. I, I'm not interested in all the things you do and don't do. You're changed. The Holy Spirit, when you repent, when you turn toward him, and the Father topples you with that love, and he gives you the gifts, 
of sonship, the Holy Spirit comes into you and what the Bible calls you're being born again. New life happens inside. I didn't know that. I would be thinking differently. There's a new person. I walked out of a bar convinced at 19 that there was a God, there was a heaven, there was a hell, there was a Jesus, and I wanted him. And I, I came out, but when I got that love, I was changed. You see? So you say, well, look at this kid. He comes in, and I, when he woke up in the next morning, he wasn't thinking, oh, maybe now I could get back with my buddies, and he's text messaging them on the side. You know, that didn't happen. <laughs> Because he's changed. If anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So don't forget about that. And you may be thinking, you know, what about justice? uh, Wink, wink. I mean, people do terrible things, and God just says, oh, all's forgiven. Just say the prayer at the end, and you're all good. Doesn't matter how you live. Well, on one hand, that's kind of true. Sorry to say. If it's true, if there's a true repentance and God's spirit comes in, there's justice if you're, if you're concerned. And there's a shout out to what it cost to allow the kid to come back. Slaughter the fatted calf. Got to be blood. Without the shedding of blood, you don't have a party in this case. The the calf provides the meal, but the son provides the party, the reconciliation. Because without Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, man, there's no no coming back. There's payment. Then the question will be, uh, you took all the inheritance. What'd you do with it? That is a legitimate question that will be asked to some at the end. Not to us who believe. Because the question is, did you receive my son? Were your sins paid for? You know, most of you know that on the cross, Jesus cried out with one word, taleo in the Greek there. It means paid in full. Jesus paid so that that reunion could happen. So that all those sins fell on the weight of our Savior of that boy. And Jesus' righteousness was transferred to him, a robe, the authority, and the sonship, right there. For what? Listen to how Titus, uh, Paul told Titus here. But when God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, his kindness and love, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us new life through the Holy Spirit, whom he generously poured out upon us who believe in Christ. Christ's Spirit comes in. If you wake up in the morning and you you go back to the pig pen, it really didn't happen. I mean, he's going to have bad attitudes some days. He's going to struggle with some things, of course, like we all do. But he's a changed man. That boy's a changed man by the power and the spirit of the Lord. Let me close with a a quote. It's kind of a a very convicting uh, remark that I read. 
He said, don't be fooled into thinking that you're no prodigal because you do not go about wasting your life in the same manner of gross immorality that leads to the pig pen. There are various ways to waste God-given life. Good deeds and good citizenship done with a heart that ignores the God who created you is just as wasteful in the end as the party animal in our story. It's just that your rebellion is disguised by subtle moderation and social civility. So what he's saying here is lost is lost. Away from God is away from God. Whether the package is bright and shiny or whether the package is really something to behold. And so the point Jesus is making is, wow, God's on a search and rescue mission. And in this life, that's the important deal. And that the only thing he requires, you know, remember in John 6 when people came to him and they said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And he says, trust the one he sent. That's it? Yeah. Trust the one he sent. His spirit comes in, changes you. And then you live your life as a response to him and his wonderful love. Ocean Beach, San Francisco. My kids were little. They were playing by the water. Jordan was down. Fourth grade, our daughter Jordan was down by the water. The dog was running around. I was reading. I kept looking up. And one time I looked up, there she was. The next time I looked up, gone. It wasn't very long. They ran down to the water's edge. I'm screaming my head off. My heart is twisted in knots. I felt nauseous. I, I felt the whole beach was spinning. I was speechless. And I'm trying to talk, scream to Barb, and I, I was us in another world. Five minutes. She somehow got behind me. She was fine. She saw me. And she, she saw the look on my face. Dad. <laughs> like, ah, ah, ah. That, That's exactly what it was like, too. I was so happy and relieved to pick her up and to know she was safe. I can only imagine God's heart because there's something greater at stake than drowning. There's something worse than that. And to come from that proposed destiny into safety, into his arms. I'm sure, like the parable says, all he wants to do is slather the kisses on and hug and bless. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We, we don't fully understand it, even those of us who've walked with you for a long time. We pray that you'd continue to remind us how dear we are to you and how easy it is to get right with you, even when we fall away while we know you. Because you're, you're for us and you love us and
you want us to succeed. You created us for good things. Just change our hearts and help us not to be so prone to wander. We thank you for the death and the resurrection and the empty tomb, which makes all of this possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, closing song. You have been listening to Calvary Chapel, The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in San Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.